So growing up, my dad, first of all, I, I work in a place called Bram, Minnesota. My dad is a senior pastor. This is my beautiful wife over here, Mary. And I'll answer your question. Woo! And we are clapping because she is having a baby soon. I'm going to get to that before anybody has that, that awkward moment where they try to decide, is she pregnant? Yes, she is definitely pregnant. She has a month before she's going here. A month. And so we were really close. It's our first one. We're having a little baby girl. We're very excited about that. Um, maybe a little terrified. It's a mix of both. But I'm very excited about that. Uh, Mary is a social worker. And uh, I am a school teacher and an assistant pastor in Bram, Minnesota. I'll tell you a little bit about myself before we get to this skit. Uh, I, like I said, I'm a school teacher. I'm an assistant pastor. And uh, Bram, Minnesota, has anybody ever heard of Bram, Minnesota? Anybody? Really? That's the most hands I think I've ever seen in another church. That's amazing. They must be good people. You know, people ask me about Bram. They said, tell me about Bram. What is Bram like? And I said, well, if you're in the city and you're driving your car on the road, and you hit an animal. You call animal services or a tow truck, maybe. In Bram, if you're driving on the road, and you hit an animal above the size of a football, you call your wife and you tell her to turn on the oven because you're bringing home supper. Bram is a little backwoods, uh, hillbilly town. We love it. We, we love our way of life. There is no shame. Um, it's a great town. It was actually named by train conductors after Abraham Lincoln. They just took off the A. And called it Bram. So it's confusing. People say, Braham? No, it's just Bram. But it is named after Abraham Lincoln. So uh, thank you for those of you who have actually been through Bram. Stop through some time. We could use some business in Bram. Uh, Mary and I both went to North Central Bible College. I'll tell you a little bit about how we met. Actually, Mary and I met when I was 18. She was, were you 18 or you were 17? No, you, were, you just turned 18. Uh, our last year at Lake Geneva Bible Camp, that is like the Christian Mecca of Minnesota. All right, that's a big deal. We love Lake Geneva Bible Camp. Good things happen there. Uh, and in fact, I have so many good memories with Levi and Cody. And I'm going to break on these two right, right now for a second. I remember when we first met when we were, when we were younger, I, I saw Cody at Pastor's Kids Camp. And I remember, that's a kid I can get in trouble with. That's a kid. I can, I can get into trouble with this guy. And we got to know each other. And you know what? In truth, we got to know each other. And we learned that we both had a passion for the Lord. And I got to know his brother and, and some of the rest of his family. And, and I'll bring on Levi, too. Levi, I remember, we're, we're like 17, sitting at my church. You remember that lock-in that night? And just the questions, the profound questions and the intellect of this guy. And as the Holy Spirit was working through him, he was so interested in the things of the Lord. And I thought, these guys, I'm going to have these guys in my life. These are people I want to keep in my life. I'm going to break on that family. I'm just so amazed. And what God has done through you guys. Thank you so much, by the way, for worship. That was phenomenal. It was awesome. Um, so that's a little bit uh, about them. And so Mary and I, yeah, we met at, at Bible camp. And once I could stop smiling and stop being a nerd and I learned how to talk to her, I, I learned to open my mouth and, and I, I asked her out eventually at North Central, uh, or right before North Central Bible College. And, and I tricked her into marrying me. And look where we're at. Now we got a baby on the way. So life has been good to me. Has it been good to you, Mary? Life is good. We're, we've been in ministry now for a little over seven years, and uh, it's hard to imagine it's been over seven years. It just seems like a few years, and uh, life is perfect. There's never any trial or problem, right, Mary? It's perfect. Yeah. Ministry is a hard way of life. Respect your pastors. Honor them. Understand that they need your prayer. Ministry is difficult. Every day is an okay day to quit. That's what Satan is throwing at them. Every single day, today is an okay day to quit. You deserve it. 
This is the battle that goes on, especially in small towns. Luckily, somebody gave a word earlier. The Holy Spirit is not afraid of Satan and the things that he throws at us. And so we just pray the Holy Spirit over all of our pastors here in Minnesota. We need to be filled to overflowing every day so that we can resist the temptations of the enemy. Well, I'm going to get started here with our skit. Um, the, The name of this skit is the man who didn't know about yesterday, today, or tomorrow. This is a skit I wrote uh, about a month ago, uh, growing up watching my dad doing skits for years. It just inspired me. It's fun to watch people do a skit. Do you guys remember when drama teams were a big deal? You know, that that was kind of a big thing. I just loved watching my dad do that. And I watched people's reactions because I was interested in what the impact was. And I saw the tears and I saw the emotion and I saw the laughs. I thought, I'm going to do one of those. So get ready. Here's my, my second time doing the man who didn't know about yesterday, today, or tomorrow. Hey, Mary, do you know why I came in this room? I forgot why I'm here. That happens a lot. I think I'm too young for that. (sighs) Can't remember why I'm in here. Oh, hey, I remember you. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, just, uh, Just where I left off. All right. Leviticus. Hmm. Regulations about mildew. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Oh, Lord, I'm reading it. See? <laughs> I still read this thing in my trusty chair. Oh, oh man. You <laughs> oh, we have been through a lot together, me and this chair. Yep. Every NFL Super Bowl, we never missed one. Every fight night. Anderson Silva. Anybody? Come on. Yeah. <sighs> You've been a faithful chair. Taco Tuesdays and Nacho Nights. He got the bad end of that deal. It's oh, a faithful chair. Oh, yeah, lo- oh, Lord, I'm, I'm reading it, see? If any clothing is contaminated with mildew, any woolen or linen clothing... I wonder what was on the news yesterday. Mary, do you know where the remote is? No, the remote for the TV. So I don't have to get up. I don't know where it is. This is your fault. Can't get out of you. You're sure you don't know where the remote is, Mary? No, I can't get up either. Maybe I'll check my email. Clap on, clap off. Come, come. Hey, Rufus, Rufus, fetch, fetch, fetch. Come on. This is your fault. I can't get out. Oh, Lord, I almost forgot. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading, Lord. Where did I leave? Oh, yes. Uh, any wo- woven or knitted material of linen or wool. What am I thinking? I have a Bible on my phone. <laughs> Lord, I'm just going to switch over here real quick. There's an app, Lord. Do you understand? Let's see. Yeah. You know what else is on my phone, Lord? A TV and the computer. Oh, I wonder if Anderson Silva won. I better look that up real quick. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, Mary, 
Mary, your, your Auntie Martha is calling. Uh, I think she wants to talk to you about her foot fungus this time. I know all about it. Maybe you want to talk to her. Mary, why are you running away? Mary, come back. Come back. Quick. Hi, Auntie Martha. How's your nocratizing fasciitis? Oh, that sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, ooh. Oh, it popped, did it? Oh, no. At least you were at the hospital when it happened. It did, did it? Well, that's what the industrial strength eye-washing stations are for. I'm sure he'll be fine. <laughs> he quit on the spot. Really? That's amazing. Wow. You know what, Auntie Martha, I don't want to know any more about that right now. How's, uh, how's Kimmy doing? What? No, I... I didn't see the news yet. I, I didn't hear. No, I, I haven't had a check to, I haven't had a chance to even check my email yet. Is she okay or? Oh no, Auntie Kim, I'm so sorry. Can I put you on speakerphone? Yeah, I'm here, Auntie Kimmy. Auntie Kimmy, she she's gonna be in the hospital too. Well, I was, I was just reading the Bible, uh, Auntie, and, and, and I think it says in Le Leviticus somewhere that we can have hope in situations like this. There, there's a reason to have hope, Auntie. Uh, I think it's Leviticus 13. It, no, you're right. That's the cleansing from infectious diseases. You would know about that, Auntie. Never mind. Wrong passage. Uh, let me put you on hold for a second, Auntie. Come on, Lord, you got to give me at least one scripture. She's in pain. She's hurting. She's upset. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I practically have it memorized here, Auntie. Uh, it, the scripture says about times like these that a brother is born out of adversity. But uh, no, I, I, I know the Bible says to have hope. I mean, another one I always have for times like this is... Uh, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks for the reason that the hope that you have. Oh, sorry, Auntie, I'm still here. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. We'll, we'll come visit her soon. Again, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll do that. Bye-bye. Lord, I just looked like a fool. God, I don't even know how to use this thing. I don't know what you said about the past. I don't know what you have for me today. And I don't know what you say about the future, God. But I promise, Lord, from now on, when I go on Sunday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open this thing up. And I'm going to try to understand what pastor's talking about. And, and I'm going to start praying, Lord. I'm going to start praying. And, and not just silly things like helping me find the remote. You know? Hey, the remote. <laughs> All right. Let's see what's on TV. Ah. Oh, Jeopardy. I'll take spiritual indifference for 400, Alex. Thank you. So the, so the whole point of this skit is that there are times when it really pays to know the Scripture. There are times where we need to be welling up inside with good things that don't come from the world. You know what? This week I might have that opportunity. I had a relative 
who just two days ago, he hung himself. And you know what? I've been in the hospital. I used to work in a hospital for a little while. And I've been in a hospital when I've heard people try to come up with something to say, but they have nothing eternal. They don't have the words of hope. They got nothing to say. And it just comes out awkwardly. But when you're a believer and you're in the Scripture, you're sharp. You know what the Scripture says about itself? It says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides our spirit, our thoughts, our emotions, bone and marrow. It's so powerful. And the Scripture hits the mark. It's inspired. If we really believe that that book is inspired, then it's got to do something for us. We've got to be able to use it. The Holy Spirit has got to be able to grasp onto something. So at that right time, you have something that is greater than you because you are broken. Well, my message today is a simple one. I have a simple message. But it's awesome how the Scripture is simple and complex all in the same time. I can be simple up here and the Holy Spirit can be complex down there and speaking to you. And so I'm excited for what the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life today. The name of my message today, as I take out my notes, is believe. And now I chose this very intentionally. Here's why I chose it. I think the word believe is a corny word. It is the kind of word that you go to like a hobby craft store and somebody got some reclaimed barn wood from a hog farm in Utah and they wrote the word believe on it and all of a sudden they're charging 55 bucks for it. And I'm pretty sure we have something like that in our house, don't we, Mary? (laughs) I think we might. It it comes across as a corny word when I hear people and I I see it on shirts and, and things like that. And people say, believe. And they have no idea what they're talking about when we, when we reference this word believe. But it's actually a powerful word. It's actually a powerful word. You know, Paul and Silas, when they were locked up in the prison for preaching the gospel, side note, persecution is coming. Persecution is coming. You see, there's a smile on my face. It's because I know what follows persecution is glory. Be prepared, church. Persecution is coming. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it's coming. Anywhere that the church is alive and well, the persecution is coming. And I see good things happening in the American church. I see some life springing up. Satan is coming after us. He's going to persecute us. Paul and Cyrus, the Silas, they've been locked up in prison for preaching the gospel. And God decides, you know, he's an escape artist. He decides he's going to let them out with an earthquake. So he shakes the doors loose. And Paul and Silas and the rest of the prisoners are escaping. And what does the prison guard do? You see, the prison guard, it was his duty. If, if these people got away, it was his life. The Romans were brutal people. And especially in that time era, uh, the guard had one job. And if he didn't do his one job or he was corrupt, it was his life on the line. So these people are getting away in a supernatural event. And he draws his sword from his sheath and he's about to take his own life. And Paul and Silas stop running away. And they come back and they say, don't do it. Put your sword away. And this man is at his wit's end. He is about to take his own life. But people with a message of hope have come back to him. 
And he asks the most important question that anybody can ask anytime, anywhere in all of history. This jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Out of all the questions that we hear in society, out of all the political talk, out of all the things that we hear that we think are important about the world, there's only one question. What must I do to be saved? And I love the way that they respond. It is so simple. I could simplify some of your strategies for evangelism real quick with the Paul and Silas method. He says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas say, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe. There's more to that word than you think. You see, the kind of believe that they're referencing there is the kind of believe that means that you trust It's not just believe in here. It's that you trust that there's action that is connected directly to it. There is repentance. There's going to be a real life change with that believe. If I was walking down the road, let's say Highway 70, that's a big deal over our way. There's at least 10 trucks that go down that road a day. So that's a, that's a major highway over in Bram. If I was walking and one of these 10 ton, you know, timber trucks comes through, I believe that that truck will crush me if I don't get out of the road. You know what I mean? I trust that truck. I have that kind of relationship where I know I better move. I believe it will crush me. Our belief in Jesus is not that different. It is a very real substantive belief. It's got value. It's got weight. And you can see it. Yes, you can. Actions and faith. What does Timothy say? Show me your faith without actions. Show you your faith by actions. Our faith moves. It does things. That's the kind of believe I'm talking about today. Not the one on the billboard plaque that nobody knows what means. I'm talking about the kind of believe that Paul and, Silence, Paul and Silas were referencing. All right. If you have a Bible today or you don't have a Bible, find a Bible like it. life depends on it. Turn to chapter 12 of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. When I would do that with youth group, when I was a youth pastor, I'd say, find a Bible like your life depends on it, and I would maybe cringe after I said that, because teenagers will do it. They will backflip over the chairs. They will all recall. They will roll. They will take things apart until they find that Bible under the pew somewhere and get it out. It is a challenge that I should not take so literally with them. Matthew chapter 12. Follow along with me. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Have you read so much as what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful to do for them, only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. 
If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of him and pull him out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. It's amazing how powerful the Scripture is. I haven't really preached yet today. I haven't even begun to preach yet today. But I read the Scriptures in this few minutes and God is already speaking to people's hearts through these simple words on the page, recorded history. Do you get a picture of what Jesus is like when I'm reading this, church? Do you get a picture of what Jesus is like? It is so hard for people who are not in the Scripture to know what Jesus is like. Do you know what I mean? They just don't know. They can't conceptualize. They don't have a a very connected version of, of a relationship with Jesus in their head because they don't read. They don't know about Him. It is so important that we read the Scripture. I get a picture of what Jesus is like when I read that. One of the things that kind of jumps out when I was reading this passage, it's amazing how religious people can be about things that are not eternal. We are eternal beings walking around because we have been redeemed by Jesus. Amen? Our spirit is going to be with Jesus forever. And so we're walking around and we get so tripped up about not eternal things. People make a really big stink about temporary things. These Pharisees were not so different. I found it funny, actually humorous, that the Pharisees who were concerned with the law and the Sabbath and not being busy on the Sabbath, the Pharisees have been very busy following around Jesus on the Sabbath. And Jesus is just teaching and preaching on the way. So who is really the one who is working on the Sabbath? I think the Pharisees were the ones working on the Sabbath. Religious people. You know, a trend that I noticed when I was a young person, I'm still a young person, but I was a short, we'll say a shorter person. You know, I had folks who would come up to me and I had a person actually say to me once, because you play drums in church, you are sinning. I had people say, the kind of style of music that you listen to is sending you to hell. Now, I am concerned about content, in, in any sort of uh, entertainment, I am concerned about content. But just the way the music sounded, somebody had the audacity without knowing me to say that music is going to send you to hell. The church at one point was very focused on non-eternal things. They didn't pick their fights well. That's a hard word. I know that's a hard word to hear, isn't it? But it's true. You notice that there's not a lot of folks my age at church, and I'm preaching even in my home church, 
There's not a lot of people my age at church. They were turned off. That's a hard word, but it's true. We need to focus on eternal things because eternal things will teach and preach itself. It will apply. You know what I notice about teenagers? I don't always have to preach about specifics with teenagers. I don't have to get down to every nitty-gritty detail because when I talk about eternal things and heart things and repentance, the Holy Spirit finds a way to get to that person's heart. And those details that we are so concerned about work themselves out through the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus went into the bars and he was doing this and he, sp- he spoke in specifics. If Jesus is here today, you just raise your hand right now. Anybody? No? No? Okay. We are not Jesus, are we? We're not. We are the disciples. We are the followers. We are the humble followers of Jesus. Imperfect in every way uh, except for what he has perfected in us. All right. Some of y'all don't know if I'm yelling at you. yet. I'm not yelling at you yet. You know what? Before I preach a sermon to anybody else, I have to preach it to myself. Don't I, Mary? How many times? I don't know how many times I go over a sermon. I've got to preach it at myself. And if I'm not living it, I can't preach it. So guess what? Pastor Andrew got a lot of this preached at him before it ever got preached at you. And I noticed there was a lot of eternal issues that I was leaving on the side burners and the back burners. And I put some temporary things in front of me. And so I got on my hands and my knees and my face and my belly, and I said, Lord, take those silly things away from me so I can focus on you. God will do it. He will take away those temporary things. Another thing that I noticed in this passage, uh, T.D. Jakes, he's a, he's a pastor from down south. I love T.D. Jakes. I don't ever heard T.D. Jakes before. Oh, man, he's good, isn't he? He's a big fella. I like him. Uh, he, he's just a great preacher. And uh, he made a really good point, and I want to bring one of his points out with credit where it's due. Um, one of the things that offended the Pharisees the most in that passage that I just read was this. When Jesus said, have you not read so much as this? You notice the Pharisees are getting angry. They're getting fired up about that because, uh, as T.D. Jakes really uh, points out in this passage, What Jesus is actually asking the Pharisees is, how practical is your faith? I thought he put that so well. That's exactly what Jesus was asking them. How practical is your faith? That's a good question to ask a lot of people nowadays because it doesn't matter where you're at in your faith. You look at your practices, the things you believe, the things you say, the way you are, and we can ask ourselves, how practical is my faith? Now, I may say that I believe all these things, but has it changed a single thing in my life? Do people even know that I'm saved? Do people know? How practical is your faith? The Pharisees were offended. And they proved to them right away their faith wasn't very practical. Staying busy on the Sabbath. They follow Jesus. Jesus goes into their synagogue. I love the way that the writer puts things in this passage. He was a little bit cynical. I get along with him just fine. Just fine. He says he went into their synagogue. And there was a man with leprosy. Now, one more point about the Pharisees that I think is interesting. Why is it that people that don't like you follow you around? 
You know what I notice in America, especially right now? There are some political figures and, and people and administration and things like that that aren't real popular with different groups. And people and even Christians are spending all their time following these people around. They remind me of the Pharisees. Wasting all their time on temporary issues instead of the eternal. Well, these Pharisees, they follow Jesus right into the temple. Where there's a man with a shriveled hand. They, I think they set him up. That's my, that's my thought. It doesn't say that in the passage. I'm kind of reading into it a little bit. I think they set him up. Because they did this kind of thing a lot. And this man is there. And don't be confused about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were not the friend of the man with a shriveled hand. It's amazing they ask that. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? How impractical does your faith need to be before you start asking questions like that? And Jesus, look, look at the way that he retorts to their question. He burned them down. He said, yes, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. There are a lot of people, and maybe some people here today, where you pray and you wonder and you ask God about good works. Guess what? God answered, do them. Do the good works. Yes, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. If God has put something in your heart, church, you need to listen up. Obey. It is, it is better to obey than sacrifice, right? Sometimes when we're not obedient, we end up sacrificing a whole lot. We have learned that in ministry. It is best to obey. They were more concerned about the day that, that Jesus would heal on than the fact that he could heal. And they missed the opportunities that were right in front of them. I don't know you, and I'm not going to... Actually, I know Jim. I know Jim pretty well. I know Cody. I, I, maybe I know some of you. I'm not going to pretend to know about your life. But here's what I want to tell you. The same way that Jesus was before the Pharisees, the Holy Spirit is here now with us. We're not alone God has sent the comforter to us and the same opportunities can be presented to us, but we have to wake up and recognize, we have to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to receive the opportunities that are awaiting us. You see, there were some Pharisees who secretly met with Jesus. They were aware that there were opportunities. They believed. We can't be the kind of Christians who believe in name only. We have to have our eyes open to what God wants to do right now. Church, don't miss the opportunities that are in front of you. Don't miss the opportunities that are in front of you. Don't miss the opportunities that are in front of you. The ones that you live with, the ones that you spend time with. I'm talking about people. Don't miss the opportunities that are before you. You know, uh, something that was just in my head last few weeks when I'm reading through this passage, talking about believing. You know, one of the most convincing testimonies that Jesus is who he said he was, was somebody who followed him for years and didn't believe, or he believed too little too late. One of the most convincing people, as Judas Iscariot, the traitor. One of the most convincing testimonies. Judas, as you know, betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And immediately after, when Jesus is arrested and he's seeing the abuse, he has a change of heart. 
And I believe it's Matthew 27. Yep, Matthew 27. Judas, in his own words, comes back to these people. And he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. Isn't it amazing? And it would be such a terrible thing to hear from your own mouth, but I have betrayed innocent blood. And he doesn't want the money. This is the man who's been picking the pocket of the disciples and Jesus for years. He's been stealing from their coin bucket. But he's had a change of heart. And they don't listen. They're going to proceed. Their plan will be carried out. Spoiler alert, they are going to kill Jesus. And I think Judas knew what was happening. And he was so filled with remorse because he believed Jesus was who he said he was. He won out and he hung himself. That's pretty convincing to me. You know, that that just strikes a chord with me. Having a relative who, in the same way, has taken their life recently. I want to tell you something. You know, this... I think it was 2016. Every year, there are over 2,000 attempted suicides a day for teenagers. Every single day. There are 2,000 times somebody looks at this world and they says, there is no hope. There is no reason to be alive. Suicide rates are going back up. Just in general in America. Do you see why we need to be the people of hope? The people who believe, not just in name, but in action. Because teenagers like my relative, who is in seventh grade, looked at the world that was so dark, and he couldn't see enough light and enough reason, enough purpose to stay alive a little longer. Do you understand your role, church? You are a light bearer. Or you're not. It's that simple. There's nothing in between. Either you're carrying the cross and following Jesus and bearing the light and the hope that is to come, or you're not. God is full of mercy, isn't he? God have mercy. Let's focus on somebody who didn't believe too little too late. I want to focus on the man with the shriveled hand. You see, the man with the shriveled hand, um, I I have a a special place in my heart for people with disabilities and special needs. I told you I work at the school. I'm actually an ECSC teacher. I work with children with special needs. That's what I do every single day. When I show up to school, that's what I do. When I'm at home or I'm at church, I I miss those kids, man. I miss them so much. And then when I'm at school, um, you know, I, I... I'm pulling my hair out or they're pulling their, you know, they're pulling my hair out. It's one or the other. And uh, I I just love working with those kids so much. And I I have a special place in my heart um, for them. And, and, you know, I've seen something. I have one of my clients, one of my little girls. She's on her deathbed right now. Right now. She's six years old. She's on her deathbed right now. There's nothing wrong with her mind at all. Actually, it's, it's her body. Her body's broken. Our family's broken. In the midst of getting a a divorce and an affair while their child is dying. 
A lot of darkness in the world, isn't there? There's a lot of darkness. And this little girl, oh man, it, it will break your heart. I've been on the playground with her before. And I've tried to explain to her why the other kids don't play with her. I don't care how tough you think you are. When you sit down with a little girl and she is so full of peace and righteousness and everything that God talks about, she is so full of it. But then she's looking at you through tears saying, why don't those kids play with me? Loneliness is evil. This man with a shriveled hand, I think he could relate. From what I've read historically, people who had any sort of disfigurement, in this time in history, we're outcasted, we're lonely, we're left out, we're second-rate people. I think we can understand how this man felt. Lonely. He's in the temple. The only place where there's hope. But the people who are supposed to bring hope, those Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're just setting them up, using them as an example. Using them to test Jesus. And Jesus, oh, thank you, Lord, that you are not like the Pharisees, that you are not like us. Jesus comes into their temple. And he says, stretch out your hand. Jesus is a God of action. We are people usually of reaction. We react to things. But God is God of action. Uh, One of the things I wanted to point out Jesus said, stretch out your hand. Notice that Jesus didn't just say, you're fine. Okay, you're good. Go, go from here. He told the man, you stretch out your hand. Now, I don't know about you, but if I walked around this earth, let's say like 25, 30 years, and I had something that was broken on my body and it had never been fixed, and somebody told me, stretch that thing out, it would take a little bit of faith for me to do that. A little bit of belief, a little bit of trust, because I'm used to it being broken. Here's a problem with us in the church, myself included. We are so used to things being broken and people being broken and everything being dark and there's no hope that sometimes we're not willing to stretch out our hand. We got to have a little bit of faith that God's going to do something, that He's actually going to restore something. He's not going to let us down, He's not going to fail us according to His will or His plan. We've got to have a little bit of faith and stretch out. Now, maybe you came here today, and I don't, again, I don't know you people. I like you people. I don't know you people yet. Maybe you came in, and you're realizing just as we're talking today, having this conversation about Jesus, maybe you realize you feel like you got a little bit of the Judas traitor problem going on in here. Maybe you've been following Jesus in name, but not in deed. There hasn't been a lot of life going on. And you feel like a traitor. Like you've been taking the benefits of following Jesus, but you haven't really believed. Or maybe you came here today and maybe you feel like the man with the shriveled hand. Maybe you feel lonely. i got to tell you something, church. People are going to fail you. Pastors are going to fail you. Organizations are going to fail you. The only one who's not going to fail you is Jesus. The only one. There is no hope outside of him. 
Now, I want to direct you there. And I think the church is the best way to do it. Somebody say amen to that. Jesus is working through the church. Maybe you feel like one of those two today. I want to tell you about the time where I was feeling pretty broken. I have a testimony I wanted to share today. Um, when, when Mary and I moved into Bram, we rented for a while from a, a, a wonderful woman who, um, she, she was just great, wasn't she, Mary? <laughs> In reality, she was a hard person to live with. That's the truth. She was a hard person to live with. She had a house that was divided up, and we got to rent one side. There's a little Christian honesty for you, huh? We're about 400 miles away. She can't hear us, right? Okay. No, actually, she, she was a great woman. Uh, she rented out her house to us, and we were extremely blessed. We wouldn't have had a place to live without her. So it was great. But we come in this place, and, uh, and I like to work with tools and noisy stuff and guns and, you know, saws and metal, all that kind of stuff all the time. And when you're renting from somebody, it's really hard to do that stuff quietly. Do you know what I mean? So I started telling Mary, I think we need to start saving up. We need to move. We need to get a house. And I want property. I mean, like, I want, you know, maybe a 1,000 acres. I don't know. <laughs> I wanted property. You know, I would have been happy with five acres at that time. I just wanted property. And so we started looking at houses. And Mary pulled one up on this online deal. And she said, what do you think about this house? And I said, well, the house looks nice, but it's in the city. I can see it's in the city. Nope, I don't want it. Nope, 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 nope. There's a problem with not listening to your wife, men. It'll make you look silly every once in a while, Okay. All those smart men said, amen. Uh, About two weeks later, I'm on that internet dealie, and I said, hey, Mary, look at this house. Isn't it beautiful? It's even in the city, but it has property. And Mary said, that's the house I tried to show you the other day. And and we felt like God was leading us. And uh, long story short, we ended up buying this place, and it was right in that medium range uh, of our affordability, not at the top, not at the bottom. It was affordable. Did you know that's a godly principle? I could end my sermon right there, mic drop, all right? Live by the means of which God has given you. So it was an affordable house for us. And uh, we, we felt that God was in it, and we consulted people. We have people in our life who we can go and say, hey, will you pray about this decision with us? And if it's not good, you tell us. If God says it's not good, we're going to come together on this decision. Do you have godly counsel in your life? Let me ask you that. I see a lot of elders out here. I see people with experience. Do you have people in your life who you are counseling? Are you reaching? Are you finding somebody to counsel? That is your responsibility. That is a part of discipleship. It is important. Barry and I have, have tried and we've gotten some godly counsel in our life. People who will not just say, yeah, whatever God puts in your heart, just do it, you know? People who can say, I think that's a bad decision. People who can say, I don't believe that God is in this, or this isn't God's best decision for you. You need people like that in your life. They're going to save you from a lot of strife and trouble. So we bought this house, and we're so excited because God is in it, and it's an amazing place. It's, it's 3,500 square feet. It's a huge house. We've got a little bit of property with it, and it's downtown, downtown Bram, you know. And, and, uh, <laughs> and we're so excited about, uh, you know, having a place where we could be noisy finally. And, you know, and then, the, well, the car broke down. But that, that's okay because God is in this, and it's going to be all right. And then the washer fell apart. That's okay. Lord, I, I guess that's okay. The other car broke down. God, did you forget? I'm still here, you know. Stuff started breaking down and more and more and more. And I'm thinking, God, I can't even, I had like, I was walking to work. Do you remember that, Mary? 
during that time, I was just walking to work, which isn't too far, like a mile, but I'm walking to work and I'm thinking, God, you're supposed to be in this. Remember, you're supposed to provide and take care of us. And now we're on hard times already. I don't want to look foolish. I felt that you were in this decision. And stuff keeps breaking and bills keep coming. Two things that you can always expect in your life. This is something from the scripture. Things will break. Things will fail you. And it's going to keep on coming until we're breathing our last breath. So they keep breaking. And we are out of money. Like, I mean, we're out of money. We're not in insane debt, but we got a little bit of credit card debt, a couple thousand, which was a big deal to us. And it still would be a big deal to us. And we couldn't pay it off. And I am feeling like a, and I don't use this word a lot, I was feeling like a loser. I'm supposed to provide for her and take care of her. That's what the scripture says. I'm supposed to be the man of the family, head of the household. And I did not feel very successful. And I started, and honestly, at first, I was kind of angry. That was my emotion. Not mad at God. Me and God have an understanding. It's not his fault. It's my fault. So we're past that pretty quick. But I was kind of angry about the situation. And it's amazing how quickly it turned into sadness. Real honestly, I would, I would cry about this. It broke my heart. I felt like a loser. I got to be able to take care of my wife. I got to be able to pay these house bills, take care of the car and these, these things that I can't fix. And then it happened. Mary has a, a room, because this was a big old house, um, this, this house had some interesting electrical work. Have you ever been in a house like that? It has some interesting electrical work, you know? Like every time they put on an addition, there's a new box here and a new box here, and you just walk down the assembly line of boxes as you're trying to find a breaker to flip, you know? And uh, Mary's got this room that's kind of attached to our master bathroom where she can go to get ready in the morning so I could stay asleep and not hear the hair dryer, you know, in the morning. And uh, she's in that room, and she says, Andrew, plugins aren't working. Lights aren't working. And I'm thinking, great, Lord, another thing is broken. Did you forget that I am here? Another thing. And I'm thinking, well, it, it could just be a breaker. Could just be a breaker in the basement. So I'm walking, and it's a long walk. Cody, you've been to my house before. It's a long walk across the house, isn't it? Sometimes you get lost. You take for a little break. You grab a snack. And I get to the other end of the house, and I open up the door, and the lights won't turn on. Oh, great. Now my huge, creepy basement that's only like five feet tall. Lights don't work down there either. And I'm thinking, this is just great, Lord. So it's probably an electrical problem. I'm going to have to pay somebody 55 bucks an hour to come out here and take a look at my house and figure this out. I have no money. Jehovah Jireh, come on, you know. So I grab one of those super bright flashlights they have nowadays. It's like nine billion lumens or something, you know, brighter than the surface of the sun. And I grab that thing. And I'm walking down the stairs and, and I try to go find these breaker boxes. And, you know, the first one, bloop, 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 no, nothing. And I, and I go through the breaker boxes. Nothing's flipped. So I said, okay, Lord, this is it. This is my breaking point. I got nothing. And I was hurt. Did you know that sometimes God will hurt your feelings? God himself will hurt your feelings. 
I'm going to challenge some of your theology real quick. Sometimes it's important for us to be humbled. And if your pride is too high, he'll bring you where you need to be. God hurt my feelings. And he broke my heart. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So I'm sitting in my basement with my nine billion million lumen flashlight with my panels. And I'm sitting there in the ceiling. Guys, I'm 6'5". I'm, I'm kind of a big, tall, string bean guy. And my ceiling is low. And so I'm sitting in my ceiling with my nine billion flashlight. And, and I can't figure out what's going on. And I'm brokenhearted. I'm falling apart. And I cry out to God. And, and, I, and it's one of these super elaborate prayers that you only see on TV. And I, and I said, Lord... Lord, that was my prayer. That was my cry. Because I had nothing. My tank was empty. And I was in a quiet place. I mean, I was in my basement. It's a creepy place. Nobody else should be there. It's, it's a scary place. And uh, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, Andrew, do you trust me? I said, Lord, yes, of course, you know, just like Abraham, it was credited to him as righteousness or something or other. I, yeah, I believe you, God. And the Lord said it again, Andrew, do you trust me? You know, when Peter was with Jesus right before he was arrested, you remember Peter said, Lord, I'll follow you to death. I got this big shiny sword, see? And I, you know, man, I'll fight to the death for you. And you remember when the guards came and Peter was the first one. He took out his, his sword and cut off the ear of one of the guys. He was intense. I probably would have got along with him. He's somebody I could have gotten in trouble with. You know what I mean? Peter is so intense, but Peter is hurt when Jesus is arrested. He feels failed. Remember, Jesus told him, put your sword away. And Peter is one of the people who ran away. And he cursed and denied the Lord three times. Now, we may not have cursed and denied the Lord three times the same way, but we've all been there in one way or another. Where we were so hurt by the Lord that we had to question what was going on in here. God caused us to look inside. When Jesus raises again from the dead, there's a portion of Scripture called Peter Reinstated. It's a beautiful part of Scripture. You need to read it today. Peter Reinstated. And Jesus and Peter are there, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. And a third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And the scripture says that Peter was hurt. He was cut to the heart. And Jesus did something with that humbling of his heart. The Lord asked me, Andrew, do you trust me again? And instead of answering right away, I caught myself and I said, Andrew, do you really trust him? Do you really believe that he can take care of you right now? Yep, 
I do. I realized in the core, in the depth, in the darkest place, there was still light in my heart. God had still filled it up with good things, and I trusted him. I remembered the times he was faithful in the past. I said, Lord, I do trust you. And the Lord spoke to my heart again, and he said something kind of weird. I promise you, I'm going to finish this up real quick. Some of y'all are like, probably tired. I'm going to finish this up real quick, but it is worth it. The end of this. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, Andrew, I want you to look up into the ceiling. And I said, Lord, I don't know if that's the most spiritual thing that you've given me recently. I, I, what? <laughs> that's weird. Did you know that God is fond of doing weird things? If you read the Bible, then you know that, especially Leviticus, right? Weird, weird stuff. Okay. Not like us. But I trusted God, so I checked over my left shoulder. I checked over my right shoulder. I want to make sure that nobody saw me do this crazy thing I was about to do. Not even my cats. I can't have them, you know, mastering me and thinking I'm crazy. But I did it. And I took my flashlight, and I shined up, and I'm crouched down here, and I shined up in the ceiling, and I see up in the ceiling some boards, and I see a zipper up in the ceiling. And I saw, and you know what? Right away I said, okay, Lord, I know what this is. That's a Bible cover. That's the zipper to a Bible cover. I'm going to walk over there. I'm going to grab that Bible, take it down, and there's going to be like a scripture highlighter or something. It's going to be the thing for me. You're going to cheer me up and make me feel better about all this terrible stuff that's happening. Because that's something God has actually done to me in the past. No lie. I've been in terrible times. I've found a Bible and the exact scripture, not a decent scripture, the exact scripture I needed was highlighted in the Bible. This is something God has done in the past. So I'm thinking, well, God's just going to do that one again. Did you know that God, although he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he says that we are a new creation in Christ and that he likes to do new things and he is full of life and he is fresh. So I'm walking over. And I reach my hand up, and really it wasn't this high. It was more like this, you know. I reach my hand up, and I grab that. And as soon as I touched it and I brought it down, I realized this is not a Bible. It's a little bag. And I grabbed that little bag. And as I'm putting my hand on the zipper, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Andrew, this is the answer to your financial needs. And you better believe I opened that thing really fast. Zip, 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 you know, open it up. Open up. It's full of money. Now, not millions of dollars. Some people are thinking, well, you should be tithing to us then maybe. Not millions of dollars, but thousands. And enough to cover all of our temporary bills, get us back on our feet, and pay for everything. You notice that God didn't wake me up in my bed one day and say, hey, Andrew, here it is. Hey, here you go, buddy. Okay, have fun. God called me to stretch out my hand. I had to do something. My belief, my trust in God was tested. And I was rewarded for believing in Him. I don't know if you came here today and maybe you felt... After hearing this message, maybe you feel like, man, there's, there's room for growth. I need to believe stronger, harder. Maybe you came here today and that loneliness connected with you. You're feeling lonely. My answer is the same thing for anybody who's in this church right now. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, who is called the Comforter, the Director, for you. 
Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is not here right now. He can take a message. The Holy Spirit is who was sent. There is a purpose for you. There is a plan for you. But God is calling on you to stretch out your hands and receive what he has. Church, can we all stand together as I close and we pray? And as a symbol, if you can, if you have the muscle today, as we pray, if you're comfortable, I want you to stretch out your hand as a symbol of receiving from God today. Holy Father, we just pray to you right now, God. We honor you. We praise you, Lord Jesus. You are the only hope that this world has. You're the only light that this world has, Jesus. Everything else is darkness outside of you, God. Jesus, we want all glory and honor for anything that was said today to go to you, Jesus. But I know there's needs in the church. There are physical needs. There are spiritual needs, Lord. There are so many emotional needs. Some of us today, God, we came here and we thought maybe we, we kind of believed, but it was really only a name and not in action. And I pray for those people right now that you would humble us, God. Make our faith a faith of action where we stretch out, we trust you, we take risks. And you bless us when we're faithful. I pray for the lonely person here today. Yes, people have failed them, but you will never fail them. This world can, at its best, Give us one day of pleasure, Lord, but you have an eternity for us of rejoicing. I pray that you would fill every person in this room right now with the gift of faith. That we would believe on your name for greater things, for the supernatural, Lord. I pray that people wouldn't just see me standing up here today and hear about this testimony and think, well, that's cool for you. I pray that people out there today, Lord, would be directed and inspired to pursue you and all that you have for them. Holy Spirit, be a comforter to this church. Bless them in all ways that they need, Jesus. Bless us as we go. Protect them. Be with them. And may your joy fill us. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.